Hi, this is Reese Roper, and you're listening to our newest podcast ever. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew and John, and we love this podcast because it's about us. Welcome to Magnify Pod, the second season, our newest podcast ever. And after 40 days of quarantine, our hearts are still beating, but just barely. I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. Woo. Woo. John, how are you doing as we approach day 40 of social isolation? Almost like we're orbiting the... uh, Orbiting the moon of Saturn, <laughs> Saturn yeah. or, or whatever the name, Titan is the name of the moon, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, in Illinois today, we just found out we're definitely extending uh, isolation through at least May 30th. Um, right. right. So it feels a little bit like we just got kind of to Saturn's largest moon. Um, <laughs> we're kind of the communications have cut out, you know, maybe there's some, some light, that will uh, emerge at some point, but for now, I feel like I'm definitely on the dark side of the moon. Are those uh, are those transistors still firing? Are you? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I gave my answer always that it varies, like day by day, hour by hour. <laughs> so. Yep. Pretty much. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of how I am, too. Uh, much better, as I said on our little mini ep this past week that I'm staying with my parents, yeah. and my mood is. Uh, so much better than it was which is why we didn't end up doing a full episode last week because it was just it would have been i mean you think you think you're i normally take you on the train to bummersville (laughs) (laughs) you know that would have that would have been a a european style bullet train right now (laughs) Yeah. yeah so doing doing a lot better um but there are plenty of things still giving me oh, joy. Yeah. I hear that. Um, what you got over there? What do you think I got? Of course. You can't part with the hammies. I can't part with the hammies. The hammies, hammies comes with me everywhere I go these days. And as the weather gets warm, just something really light. I don't know. I, I, I still stand some IPAs, but sure. every once in a while. I, so along with my, my beer, I have a little bit of bourbon. So... Nice. Um, to quote our boys, Frenzel Rom, uh, beer and a shot. That's good. For everyone, I forgot. That's I can't do it. God that's, damn it! You know, at first it was there, I'm and then sorry. it kind of yeah, no, no, good. it didn't. You know what? No, I can hear Mickey making fun of me right now. <laughs> I had a conversation with her about how I told her, I'm, just to spite her, I'm like, you know what? This next episode, I'm going to do an Australian accent for two and a half hours. <laughs> and she's, be, like, she, she's like, go for it. Yeah. Just struggle through two and a half hours. And that'll be a, a Patreon be, uh, bonus. <laughs> Patreon exclusive. Yeah, just exactly. me doing an entire episode in my horrible, horrible <laughs> Australian accent. Be around a shot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. But the, yeah. So, Doing a little bit of a lager, a little bit of a bourbon chaser, I like or it. beer chaser. However one, however one wants to chase. What do you got over there? I got a hashtag weird beer. Um, 
did a little curbside pickup from Scorched Earth Brewing uh, out here, and they do nice. this smoked ale. Um, does that called, uh, does it taste like bacon? Well, it is a foraging swine beer with a pig on the label there, but no, it tastes like a campfire, and it's great. Oh, nice! <laughs> because I've had like I've had some. Um, there was a beer that I I had at Sketchbook Brewing in Evanston mm-hmm. that was like a smoked german beer of some kind and it tastes like liquefied bacon so it was it was horrible not doing the Uh, trick no no. this doesn't taste like that to me just tastes like smoky goodness well i'm 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 a fan as everybody knows of pd scotch i don't know if does everybody know that why would anybody know that (laughs) i don't know anymore my brain has stopped functioning it's hard to say what we've talked about and haven't (laughs) talked about on this podcast no it's true it's true there there are probably people being like fuck you guys you've talked about this (laughs) enough enough so have we talked about starburst on this podcast (laughs) starburst conversation making a big comeback yeah made a big made a big comeback because (laughs) because our boy adam from north carolina Uh asked asked about it uh-huh. He, since he hadn't you know called in and he's like so what's the deal you guys still talking starburst over it <laughs> and so i was like you know what let's do this and so i put out a a a, a poll on our on our twitter and so only 27 people voted um <laughs> which i think is you know more than i sure. was kind of expecting but enough for uh, a scientific poll yeah and uh there were some hot takes yeah man there were some people that were saying that pink was the worst yeah this is this is brand new this is brand new i mean (laughs) people have been saying that like there have been like some you know contention over like yellow being the worst or whatever but like people coming in and saying pink is the worst and orange is the best and like what the fuck what do yeah, you i don't know what is so i'm like these people's mouths are straight up wrecked <laughs> twitter but, twitter has destroyed everybody's brains so yeah. the people voting over there can't be trusted well you know what pink still Except, won yeah pink boys and pink girls still reign supreme red riders unfortunately taking that all with the number two slots yeah um yep. then did yellow beat orange Yellow beet orange. This is this is controversy right here. I yeah. don't know what to think about well, that. I don't know. Brian, Brian, my brother is like one of the only people I know who uh, is a fan of orange. Okay. Well, yeah. And Riker's a big lemon head, right? Riker's a lemon head for Maybe sure. Maybe he was voting on a bunch of different computers or something. I know that. Uh, I know that April is a lemon head as well. She's more of a, a, a lemon and, and orange together proponent. She yeah, she's a fan of, of she's a fan <laughs> the of, uh, of the yeah, the, the Starburst cocktail combining yeah. the combining the flavors. Nothing wrong there. No. Um so <laughs> Jesus, how did we get back to Starburst that much again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, John, the fact that we haven't been able to eat candy in person together. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Uh, yeah in addition to Starbursts, um, kind of making a resurgence. I want to get into a potential recurring segment that Mm -hmm. we're going to have to do going forward. Uh And I think we're just going to have to call this segment Joy Boys. (laughs) What what, What is bringing us joy right now? John... What's bringing you? What, what's making you a joy boy these days? 
<laughs> feels weird to say that I also support it. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, if we talked to Unwed Sailor at all on the pod, we, we must have, have a little bit. Okay. I don't know if we have. Not, a, well, not in depth, at least. Where do you stand on them? Are you your fan? Um, I have uh, not enough information to make sure. any sort of educated yeah, statement. Yeah. I was a pretty big fan back in the day. Um, they're very uh, Page of the Lion adjacent. Um, mm. But they the only kind of emo that you apparently like. <laughs> I guess so. I don't. Yeah, I was. We'll get into this later. But I really want to try to understand what I find to be acceptable emo leaning music and what I don't. I, can't I was really. think I was as I was listening to uh, this a BS2 album today. I was thinking, what is it that John doesn't <laughs> like? Because I had this exact thought about Pedro the Lion. Yeah. And like, it's not that like. I mean, Dave Bazan sings. He's, but he's also, he's a different kind of lyricist. We let's we'll get into that later. But yeah, I yeah. just want you to know that I also <laughs> sure okay. going down this going down this path. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Yes. Unwit Sailor. Kind of along the same lines. More sort of shoegazy, um, ethereal guitar. But um, and they never really stopped putting out records either. They put one out a few years ago. But they just released a new song today from an upcoming record they have. I'm really digging that vibe. So that got me excited. I don't know. I uh, I feel like I should be able to name something else, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. So why don't you go and I'll think of something else while I wait. Well, John, late breaking news. Can't I don't wait. know. I don't know if if your penis is ready because of this. <laughs> it's, it's about to float. <laughs> NBC to air brand new Parks and Rec episode. Oh yes, I did just learn about this. I yes. should have assumed that's what you were talking about. That yes. does bring me immense joy. Yes, I cannot. Um, so we're gonna have Amy Poehler, Rashida oh. Jones, Chris Pratt, Nick Offerman, Rob Lowe, Aziz, Adam Scott, Aubrey Plaza, Jim O'Hare, Retta, will all be in the app. It's pretty great. So it's an all new story, which yeah, is also it's, really cool. It's going but to support, from their homes. It's going to support feeding America. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really like, excited. Yeah, uh, Mike sure says like a lot of other people, we were looking for ways to help and felt bringing these characters back for a night could raise some money. He was um, right. Yeah. Oh man, I can't. I can't. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to. <laughs> so our our mutual friend Betsy was like, she said, I can't wait to see how. Uh, ben Wyatt is coping in in quarantine, and, <laughs> and, and I sent that gif of him holding up his claymation. Right? Could a depressed says, person make this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I imagine I it'll be he's back in, on that. He's back into his, some into some serious claymation. Claymation. Um, yeah, I, it'll be really interesting to see what the conceit is. Like, are they all going to be on Zoom in the episode, you know? Or, like, are they going to be doing sort of recorded diaries? Or, yeah, it'll be interesting. Anyway, that does bring me great joy. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. Um, so, let's see. What else would I, was I going to say? There was something else that's bringing me joy. Well, um, I'll, name, I'll name one other. Okay, go for it music thing uh that's doing it for me uh wolf club is uh the synthwave band and listeners know i love me some synthwave um their whole vibe is just like you know full-on sort of 80s neon trapper keeper um <laughs> synthy goodness and they put out this single rebels uh, and they've got an album coming out in like a, a week or two i think so anyway wolf club into them bringing me joy 
Boom. Awesome. Love it. Like it. Love it. Need it. <laughs> um, I think that's a, is that DC talk? <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> I don't know. We better figure got, this out before we get Kevin I, Max on. I, yeah. We got, I've got Kevin Max on the brain. Um, <laughs> like it. Love it. Need a DC talk. Yes. Yeah. How, how could I forget? <laughs> Oh man, I can't. I that I just I don't know where I pulled that from. <laughs> you gotta like it, you gotta love it, and now you need some Jesus in your life. Yeah, it's Jesus freak. How yeah. could I've forgotten this? I don't know. I I don't know. Um. So as as we mentioned, we we mentioned Kevin Max briefly on our <laughs> little bonus app. Uh-huh. Um. Also in the app, I talked Adam from North Carolina who left us a voicemail. Hmm. Um kind of getting getting an update and uh he's been he's he's shared some really uh he shared some really nice things um giving us encouragement about charting on itunes which we yeah. are st- we are still charting as of this week by the way um but also john other other news that that you uh that you got that you submitted for us Wanna oh share, yeah share that yeah, we um, got the Chicago Soundcheck, uh, just like a website and a newspaper insert out here to list us in their podcast listing of Chicago-produced uh, music podcasts. So that's pretty cool. Um, that is pretty cool. Shout out to our dudes at, uh, well, dude at Pop Punk and Pizza, um, who are also on that list. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited about that. You know, I I hope it still counts that one person is in the Chicagoland area. I hope they don't. <laughs> well, we were it originated here. I'm taking it. Was, it uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, magnified studios east and west. That's right. Um, and now north. So yeah. we're just we're going we're going you know multinational here eventually. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, when we get. I don't know, our Canadian studio. I don't know. Hey, Just, that sounds great. When we, we hook up with Steve Kravac, you know, yeah. up in, in, in the BC. I love it. Uh, like I love and need it. <laughs> so, so going from that, we got, we got a, uh, we got a voicemail from our boy, Danny stairs. from talking about our bonus app. Uh, and the conversation around, around salty he he's got he's got <laughs> salty salty takes on salty so uh, maybe a little salty what's up beautiful and andrew Big burn. <laughs> that was rude fuck but anyhow um <laughs> this is your boy Dan stairs obviously uh calling we'll check in episode uh 45 minutes is not enough to satiate my needs though so i'm gonna need you guys to do another long one here soon um was responding. I wanted to respond to a couple things. First off, how dare you say that VeggieTales wasn't age appropriate for us? I know you're certainly <laughs> and I know that even though I was what in junior high, we were watching it because we were dumb, outcast, misfit kids. And I know you guys watch it too. Don't fucking lie to me. Uh, second off, I do have some salty uh, experience. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I went to a very conservative Baptist elementary school. Um, Probably going to church there at that time as well. Um, but those memories are in a few years back. Um, and we would watch Salty, but also every year we would do a like, elementary school musical. 
and it was always a salty musical, and a music teacher would put on a salty costume. She would put the big songbook on, and she'd have, like, blue leotard on underneath. Oh, boy. And let me tell you, it was weird. Uh, of course it was. <laughs> we knew it was her. She had, like, the blue face paint or whatever. Um, and it was so strange. Also, it was a woman, supposed to be a woman. So I'm surprised the Baptist even wanted that. You know, gives kids weird feelings. So, uh, anyhow, that was all. I just wanted to check in. Uh, glad to hear you guys are doing well. I uh, hope to hear uh, more from you guys next week. Night Pop for Life. Hey, Salty, get him on the pod. Yeah, we got to get we got to get Salty on the pod. Um, I mean, there's. I will reiterate this. This all came up because we have a we have a new listener, um, our boy. Robert Gay, who uh, from Nashville, I don't know, maybe maybe he runs in the same circles as Nikki P. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he was talking about his kind of experience growing up in uh, just sort of those circles of kids singer groups, and uh, but he and he ran in a similar circle with the salty kids, and I didn't <laughs> I didn't know like. I don't know who thought that like, I mean, the salty budget itself was questionable and like the, the it just looked really shoddy. Uh-huh. And so I don't know why a church thought like, Oh yeah, just like make up some bogus ass salty costume and paint my face. <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. It's uh it sounds disturbing. Yeah. It, it sounds extremely disturbing. Um, you know, while we're on the subject of Danny Stairs, we may need to read a, a Danny Stairs review here. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> I, you mean the the third time that Danny Stairs has edited his same review over the past two years? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've said in the past, if you give us a, a fun review uh, on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the pod. That has given our two like longest uh, time listeners uh, the permission to write entirely new reviews and yeah i think this literally is the third time that danny has uh submitted a new review but you know what i'll take it he says five airs that's his subject which you know 10 comedy points yeah um Love this podcast. Two great dudes bringing honest, down-to-earth conversations about religion, culture, and music. Episodes may look like they're a little on the long side, but it's worth it to listen to the introductory chats along with the music discussion, and they always tell you where the music starts if you're not interested in good conversation. Dan, thank you, bud. Appreciate it. I'm saying, man, that's exactly that's exactly what we say. We've been saying this for been saying this for a long time. You know, it's the introductory stuff might, you might be like, I don't know, who are these guys? But I think the longer you listen to, you listen and engage, it's like we become, we become less of a stranger right. and more of a, of a friend yeah. Whis- whispering in your ear. <laughs> sure. Sometimes shouting. Sometimes, um, sometimes, sometimes vomiting on our hot sauce episode, <laughs> you know, whatever. Or, um, or the morning <laughs> or the morning after or, you know. Yeah. Um, do we have any voicemails from Danny Leary? We we do not have any voicemails. Okay. But do we do we have a <laughs> do we have, we a, have a, a diatribe from him? Um, it's kind of like a thesis. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, uh, the, this also gave him uh, <laughs> the opportunity to give a new review. <laughs> and then I put review in question marks here. 
Um, but this is from Danny Leary, uh, co-host of the Sadie Hawkins pod. I'm not going <laughs> to give all this content. <laughs> um, but yes, he, he, he took uh, his review opportunity to, to further state his case on, on uh, pushing his ska agenda, I should say. Yeah. Um, subject line is there will be no fourth wave ska. <laughs> Uh, and it continues, but it cuts off, so I can't read the whole thing. Uh, many ska noobs think that the third wave ska begins with real big fish and boss tones or suddenly on the radio, but that isn't true. Third wave begins when ska comes to America. Oh, this is long. To America for the first time in the 1980s with bands like Bim Scala Bim and the Toasters. The third wave was first labeled the third wave when ska was still an underground movement. A few smaller journalists and scene gatekeepers decide that the history of ska up to 1995 can be split into waves. This is like half done. By the scene, but the scene is still in and small and it's possible to make those kind of unanimous decisions across a national scene to say this is the third wave but then ska explodes in the late 90s and more and more people are now dipping their toes into writing and talking about it everyone gets hung up on these waves without really understanding the history of how it got where it is again they think the third wave just began in 1997 so how does anyone agree to a fourth wave they don't there are now too many cooks in the kitchen and most of them don't really know the recipe the fact is we are probably already in a fifth wave of ska popularity but we will never ever in this culturally fractured world <laughs> in this culturally fractured world decide on what those stupid waves are anymore. We are simply in the ocean of ska from this point forward. You know what? He put five stars on there and I'll take it. So <laughs> feel is, free to leave is, whatever this weird. Is, this is his <laughs> way of, as, as you texted me that he found like a uh, loophole, a loophole to get, yeah. <laughs> to get it. Cause he's left like, there was one time he left like nine minutes. Yeah, of, yeah. yeah. And we're yeah. When, and we and he also went. We we exchanged some Twitter DMs where uh. <laughs> he just kept like giving more of his thoughts on the whole op IB thing <laughs> yeah, and right. even even Jason's Jason's take on on Fishbone that they that they created funk like funk punk or ska right, right, right. funk or whatever yeah. and and so it, it's just like and so he's like uh he's he's found another way to get on the pod to, to get his takes on here so yeah. uh I mean, he's 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 uh creative we'll we'll say that but sure. we we do have to do our crossover app at yeah, some point it'll it'll happen with, with say hawkins pod danny i'm gonna i'm gonna come with so many diatribes prepared <laughs> Exactly. Uh-huh. I'm gonna. I'm, I have so many thoughts about Marilyn Manson. <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah, John. I um, I have a a serious question for you. Uh huh. Shall we play a game? <laughs> I was going to suggest that you use that soundbite for this, <laughs> and I'm so glad that you <laughs> thought of it before I even suggested it. <laughs> and the answer is yes. Okay. So this is. This is kind of going from our uh, Joy Boy segment (laughs) into this game because there's something else that's been kind of bringing me a little bit of joy lately, and that is Disney Plus. I've decided to become a member of Disney Plus and get a subscription. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I decided to do that was... I have never seen, I haven't seen more than two MCU movies. Wow. Interesting. This has never come up before. No, it hasn't. And I have not seen, oh, up until like 
a couple weeks ago, I had only ever seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy okay. and Black Panther. Okay. None of the Avengers, none of the Captain Americas, no Thor. I hadn't sure. seen any of them. And I thought it was about time and an appropriate time for me to binge all of the Marvel movies yeah. in chronological order, okay. not release date. Oh, so, fascinating. So the chronological order when the movies would have happened in 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 their own cinematic universe timeline. So is like Ant-Man first or where are we starting? No, here? no, no. Um, so the first one would be Captain America, the first Avenger because that uh, of takes course. place. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like during World War Two, right? And then after that, it's Captain Marvel because it takes place in '95. Okay, Ant Man's like it kind of starts in like the '60s ish, right? Ant- Are there some flashbacks? Um, Ant- but Ant Man itself, I think it takes place present day. It does, it does, but yeah, yeah. But Did you watch all of them already? No, no, I haven't. Okay, okay. I- I've watched I've watched the first Avenger, Captain Marvel, okay. Iron Man. Iron Man 2, and Thor. Okay. Um, for in, inexplicably, The Incredible Hulk uh, uh-huh. is not on Disney+. Plus. It's kind of like not really part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, it has Edward Norton in it, and then and then the Hulk is, is later uh, changed Mark Ruffalo. to Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah. But yeah, they don't anyway. ever really make any reference to it as opposed to like every other Marvel movie where it kind of loops right. in. Right. So anyway, um, I have decided. Uh, so John, are, are you are you a, are you an MCU fan? Oh yeah. You're a big Marvel head. I'm a big Marvel head. Um, growing up, I was a big Marvel comic guy. Interesting. Um, All right. I'm a bigger Batman fan than I am any Marvel property. So I guess by default, that makes me more DC, DC than yeah. Marvel, but Batman really is like one of the few from DC that I was, you know, and the rest was, was straight Marvel. And I see all you in, see your, your kids, especially Milo seems to be dressed up in Batman all the time. It's true. Batman is big in our house. I promise <laughs> I didn't push a Batman agenda onto them. They just came to it naturally as I did. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, I have a game for you. Oh, I can't wait. That I'm calling would you stan these Marvel characters in real life or are they too unbelievable? <laughs> oh man. So I am going to read you uh, a description mm-hmm. of a Marvel character okay. that might be real or fake. <laughs> okay. And you have to tell me, am I, is this an actual actual marvel character or some shit that i made up can't wait so um i don't know the marvel comic book universe like insanely well that i will get all these right just so you know (laughs) (laughs) you will get them all right no i I will not okay so the first one angar the screamer or the screaming hippie okay david angar a radical social activist volunteered to undergo an experiment to confer upon him superhuman powers hmm. subjected to technology brought to earth from the moon Titan by the priestess <laughs> moon dragon hmm. 
Angar acquired unusual vocal powers. Angar vocally emits piercing screams that create hallucinogenic effects in those who hear them. Is Angar the Screaming Hippie a real Marvel 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 character or some shit that I made up? You know, I can't tell if, like, you naming Titan, you know, with this being a Brave State Saturn episode is too obvious or you're trying to throw me somehow. Hmm. Um, But I think he is not real. Mm. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> nope, he is. He's, he's real. real. He is real. He the screaming even, hippie. Yeah, he actually even appeared in the Agents of Shield TV show. I did not watch. Nope, but yeah. So he's uh But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I haven't watched the 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 Shield uh, TV show at all. But I watched like the first few episodes, and I was like, I don't think I'm in this for much longer than this. Yeah, but. Anyway, so... Interesting. The name is familiar. Yeah. The Titan thing is a real real happy coincidence for us. It is. It is quite a a coincidence. I wish there was an Agnar shout-out on this BS2 record, but (laughs) that's fine. All right. Uh, Next Marvel character, Shadow Mind. Mm. Nuclear physicist and inventor... Morris Alabaster was first introduced by Marvel in the late 60s as the creator of the superhero Shadow Mind, rival to the criminal syndicate The Sundown. Partnering with college student Sam Jordan, Alabaster fit Jordan, a human with no innate superhero abilities, with a mind control device that was implanted in his brain. The device allowed him to view the thoughts of enemies in addition to being able to temporarily control their speech and see through their eyes. This came in handy during fights when not all enemies are visible. Is Shadow Mind a real Marvel character or some shit that I made up? It sounds very cool. So I'm going to say real. And if it's not, then you need to invent this. Wow, you made that all up? I made up Shadow Mind, all of it. Dude, of- we're, we're dropping the pod, we're dropping the Synthway <laughs> Band, we're starting Shadow Mind now. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, I came up with the names. That's a dope. Morris Alabaster? Come on. Morris Alabaster. So uh, one, of my, one of the guys that I really love, um, uh, a guy who does a podcast, it's called Jordan Jesse Go. Mm-hmm. His, name is, uh, his name is Jordan Morris. And right. so I came up with Morris Alabaster and Sam Jordan. Okay. And so just kind of combined those those two names. But but Jordan uh Jordan Morris is so so funny and he also grew up listening to Five Iron Frenzy kind of growing up in the Christian punk scene and he he was a a guest on the Good Christian Fun podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we talked about maybe trying to get him Get on I, would the pod. Lo- I would love to get Jordan Morris on the pod. He's so he's. I've met him once at a live right. Jordan Jesse Go uh, podcast, and he's and he's really cool. Yeah, we might uh, have to work on that. But more importantly, you need to work on making on, on Shadow Mind, Shadow Mind a real thing. <laughs> what did you? What was the forces that they're working against? Shadow people, dark uh, people. No, the Sundown. Sundown. That dude. This rules. We got to make this happen. <laughs> I feel like you could get this greenlit at FX like tomorrow. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad I'm. Uh, uh, you know, Marvel, get at me. I'll take that. Right. We'll, Art, we'll take that Marvel money for sure. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm o for two here, but you're you're one for one for great ideas. So. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, next character, Flag Smasher. Okay. <laughs> a young Carl Morgenthau was going to follow in his father's footsteps and become a diplomat until his father was trampled to death in a riot outside an embassy. <laughs> Convinced that nationalism was the greatest threat to the human race, Carl became Flag Smasher, a villain devoted to stamping out nationalism by committing acts of terrorism against governments. So Flag Smasher formed the underground, liberated, totally integrated mobile army to unite mankind, or ultimatum. Is Man. Flag Smasher a real Marvel character or some shit that I just made up? Here's the only thing that's throwing me. And now, also, I'm regretting that I said I was a big Marvel fan because I'm really stinking it up. Um, this, I feel like if you had created this, he would be a hero, not a villain. <laughs> right? He's trying to, like, stamp out nationalism. That should be rewarded. He shouldn't be villainous, right? Um, I don't know. He's committing acts of terrorism against governments. That's true, but flag smashers like that should be like anti-flags, like <laughs> mascot or something. Uh, geez, I don't know. I'm I'm going fake. Flag uh, smasher is a real Marvel wow. character. Bring him back. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, flag smasher. His it, here's the thing. His uh his outfit very much resembles Space Ghost. Oh, okay. Like, I'm Googling it. In a very real way. Uh, he, but like, <laughs> but the ultimatum, like, you know that somebody, they had the word ultimatum and they, and they like reverse engineered, <laughs> you know, right, right. no one was like, oh shit, this name of this thing that we just came up smells, spells out ultimatum. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, but the underground liberated, totally integrated mobile <laughs> army to unite mankind. Oh man, that's amazing. It's, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, he does look like Space Ghost. <laughs> he does have a cool name. He was mainly a Captain America villain. I mean, I, yeah. I gotta go find these Flag Smasher comics. It's time to bring him back. I know, and this is uh, this is the '80s too. You would think that like. Yeah. But this. But, but this like, picture that they have, uh, that he says. Uh, I hate what the Soviet Union stands for as much as I hate what America stands for. Dang, Flag Smasher, get him on the pod. <laughs> get Flag Smasher on the pod. John, oh, you're, man, uh, you're, 0 for, you're 0 for 3. Yeah, I should have said I don't have comic books, so who reads those? <laughs> what a nerd. Jeez. All right. showing. Um, the next one. Captain Radical. Okay. Uh, skateboarding enthusiast Alex Moore was attempting her latest stunt inside what she thought was an abandoned warehouse. While performing a jump off a makeshift ramp, she inadvertently activated a weapon that hit her with a bright blast of light. She felt unfazed after the event until days later after a horrific fall that should have killed her resulted in no injury. A return to the warehouse revealed the group responsible for the weapon the villainous enterprise black mask the blast made her bones extremely durable and her skin resistant to most forms of attack this character was created in partnership with marvel and the launch of the x games in 1995 
Is Captain Radical a real Marvel character or some shit that I made up? Hmm. You know, my inclination is to say false, but you've been throwing me. Although I feel like 95 was really, like, my my zone, and I feel like I would have been aware of Captain Radical and had a position on her, so I'm going to say false. That's true. I know. I, mean, I, I made up, I made Captain Radical up. <laughs> I mean, she sounds extreme. <laughs> she is extreme. She, she probably, I was, I was trying to also think, like, uh, in the vein of, like the extreme Bible with like yeah 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 <laughs> kids rock climbing <laughs> totally yeah no this would t- that is totally a plausible thing I feel like it would have been like um, maybe like an Image Comics uh, property or something maybe <laughs> like, yeah yeah that would have been a thing for sure um all right last one okay Doctor Bong <laughs> okay. oh man first appearing in the seventies. Lester Verde, hmm. a.k.a. Dr. Bong, <laughs> is a genius scientist with advanced knowledge of genetic engineering. His main weapon is his bell-shaped helmet, which creates a number of effects when struck. These effects can consist of concussive blasts powerful enough to bend metal and the ability to teleport Dr. Bong to a different place. Part of his, village, <laughs> part of his villain origin story is his hand was severed by a miniature guillotine when performing with the punk band Mildred Horowitz. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, man. Is uh, is Dr. Bong a real Marvel character or some shit I made up? This is really throwing me. When did you uh, claim that Dr. Bong made his debut? 70s. 70s man see i feel like that's plausible marvel is weird they're doing weird stuff the punk band stuff though i don't know guillotine for his hand too weird i'm going you made it up (laughs) (laughs) dr Dr. bong is Is real real. wow his and his helmet his his uh his bell helmet looks (laughs) it's like looks like uh like one of those Ding, 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 ding. Like okay. bells with a little googling him. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Bond. Dr. Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> there he is. Severed hand and all. Punk band. Mildred, what were they called? <laughs> uh, uh, Mildred Horowitz. Horowitz. <laughs> I mean, this rules. I really want the Dr. <laughs> Bong origin story for the next Marvel wave. Um, yeah, he was like, he was also like his. Uh, first appearance was in a Howard the Duck comic. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, Howard the Duck was weird. Yeah. Um, well, that's amazing. I wonder how often they made like jokes about the other kind of bong. I don't uh, know, but he also he created imperfect clones of uh, Steve Rogers and Black Widow and wow. lured Deadpool into teaming up with them. I mean, this sounds great. I'm looking at a picture of uh, Mildred Horowitz right now. It looks pretty cool. Um, man, this really, you, you made me want to like go read comic books. <laughs> like, <laughs> these all sound like great, obscure heroes and villains. Well done. I, I've been uh, made a fool. <laughs> no, I mean, this, all, you know, one of the things I did was I just Googled obscure <laughs> Marvel superheroes. Okay. And, well, yeah. and some of them were like, some of them looked pretty cool, but I kind of went with the ones that just seemed very, uh, like, out very much out there. 
Right. Yeah. On, well, name, on names alone. Yes. I apologize to all the Dr. Bong heads and <laughs> flag smasher stands out there that I've disappointed. Um, I, yeah. What was your shadow mind? We got to make shadow mind. Happen. Shadow mind. I'm going to, I'm going to whip up some concept art. <laughs> Ooh, heavy ordnance studios. <laughs> Let's get them on a shadow mind, uh, <laughs> concepts. I think, uh, it'll all come together. Yes, I would. I mean, you know, I, I, I was trying to, I was, here's the thing about, about creating superheroes, something that I found out. Um, <laughs> so I was creating, I had, before I came up with Captain Radical, uh-huh. I had a character that I was like, like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. And then I realized I, I invented Storm. Uh, so it's like she's from africa (laughs) no no i was like i I came up with somebody who could like essentially control um an element i i I call i was calling her captain flood and i wanted her to be able to control bodies of water and i was like like a storm already kind of can you know control like weather and elements and i don't know it's it's a little bit too similar and and even i i tweaked shadow mind a little bit because i didn't want it to be too much like Professor X, sure, you know, yeah, because yeah. Professor X has like that sort of ability to invade yeah. invade your thoughts and and sure. you know whatever. And I wanted it to be more like, um, you know, controlling their like essentially like becoming their their yeah. being. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. So, yeah. I mean, Professor X wasn't dealing with the sundown. No, that's um, that's true. I guess Aquaman can kind of control the water. He's more can talks to fish. I guess that's his main jam. Yeah, I was. I also said that uh, uh, Captain Flood was able to breathe underwater, and but like when she started to control bodies of water, her skin would turn like a bright blue. Ooh, into it. Yeah, man. I don't know. That, maybe that, that was like my worst showing yet, and about a subject I claim to care about. But clearly, <laughs> you're the comic book uh, creator among us. So well. You also did. I think you also did really well at like the end of the world game. So yeah, mm. I don't. I don't know what that says. Nothing good, probably. <laughs> well, uh, well done. Very enjoyable. Uh, I'll be curious to hear about your your MCU takes. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm excited. I'm really. I'm really looking forward to this next run of the next run of movies. Yeah, because it's getting into more of the i get the first avengers right um the first um th- so the first avengers uh iron man 3 um dark world winter soldier so oh. i'm i'm excited to get into those my my hot take on on the marvel movies is that i don't like the ones where they team up as much. Like I like it when it's more grounded and focused on one character. They're not so much like going to outer space, but like I love winter soldier. Cause he's like fighting the government. Like, I don't know. Those are my preferred Marvel stories. So um, let me give one other, uh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say my other Disney plus recommendation um, is the new DuckTales show. Uh, it's like legit good. Like my kids have been, watching it because i have been wanting to watch it and then i showed them the old ducktales from the 80s with like you know some nostalgia and i was like oh the new one is much better than this <laughs> um so anyway ducktales get on it it's in that has uh has ben schwartz in it right yeah it does the voice cast is like amazing for it 
Um, oh man, David Tennant. Yep. He's Kate, Mc- Kate McCucci. Bobby Moynihan. Oh, yep. Beck Bennett too. Yeah. yeah he's Launchpad. <laughs> this has got it all. Ducktales. Woo. Woo. Check it out. <laughs> should we? Should we take a little break? Yeah, let's do it. All right, and when we come back, we're gonna going to space, have, baby. We're going to space with. With with shadow producer <laughs> Jason <laughs> Jason Simon from Unoriginal Vinyl, <laughs> what? Not the shadow, not Shadow Mind. No, 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 no. no, no, no. We, don't the, we don't want the sundown getting involved in this. <laughs> no, but when we come back, we're gonna be we're gonna be discussing the light of things hoped for. So, John, uh, we had a conversation that is Jason and I were able to have a conversation with. Tyson Paoletti, who previously worked for Five Minute Walk and mm-hmm. for the past almost 20 years has been working with Tooth and Nail. And he was uh, with Five Minute Walk when Five Iron was part of the label and was part of the reason this album was even on Tooth and Nail to begin with. So uh, let's take a listen to this conversation that yeah. Jason and I had with Tyson. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're recording. This is Andrew in the middle, or depending on how you're looking. Hey, Andrew's in Tyson, Chicago. Nice to meet you. Hey, how's it going? Good. Great. Thanks Good. for doing this. Oh yeah, fun. Um, so I'm just going to ask you some questions randomly, and then we'll okay. chop it up a little bit. But uh, to start, are you wearing an us- Eric, are you wearing an Eric Church hat? I guess that's first off. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Just that all right? Is that all right? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I got it. I got it for free. It's great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, tell us uh, who you are and maybe a little bit about your background. You worked at all those things. Oh yeah. So my name is Tyson Paoletti, and um, I worked at Five Minute Walk Records from 1998 to 2000. And then uh, I started working at Tooth and Nail Records in Seattle in 2001, um, and I still work there presently. 19 years at Tooth and Nail? Isn't that crazy? Go, what do you, it's do, gone what fast. do you do there? Yeah, what do you do, what do, you do there? <laughs> well, I started as, uh, when Brandon first started calling me to work there, um, I didn't actually, I moved up to Seattle to marry my wife who I actually met, she was a manager for an artist on Five Minute Walk Records. I met her as a part of me working there. Um, and uh, and she, she lived in Seattle. So I moved up here to marry her. Brandon knew I was up here and started calling me and basically wanted me to work as the head of sales at that point uh, for Tooth & Nail. So I started in 2001 as the head of sales. From what I remember, the first one of the first records I worked on was Starflyer '59. Leave here, stranger. I think it was maybe so one cool. of the very first ones I worked on there. But I, you know, I grew up listening to all the Tooth and Nail releases, and I was a concert promoter even uh, in college, which is how I paid for college. So I was super familiar with most of the bands. And you brought like the W's into Five Minute Walk world, right? Yeah, well, I was connected to that. I mean, so I was a promoter, a concert promoter in Eugene, Oregon, um, and they were from Corvallis, Oregon. Um, they played a ton of shows in the area. Uh, I promoted a ton of shows in the area, so we definitely uh, ran into each other quite a bit. And they opened on a lot of the shows that I 
uh, was promoting, you know, it's different like MXPX or Arthur and, you know, Five Iron shows, stuff like that. How close to you, uh, to Five Iron were you in those early days of Five Iron? The first incarnation, the eight year version of Five Iron with Keith and, and all those guys, how close to you were with, with the band? Yeah, I mean, well, the nice part, so Five Minute Walk Records was really a family. It, it felt that way. It was only, there was only like five of us working there, uh, four before me, and then, then I got there. Um, and, uh, you know, some interns, and it was really a fun, really close-knit family. We were involved in everything from like hanging out in the studio when the bands were there at Saki's place, um, or basically going on tour with the bands, uh, you know, going out to dinner with them, going into this, going into San Francisco when they were in town uh, and just hanging out. So it was a, it was a good time for sure. Five Iron was definitely the largest band once I got there. You know, they were like going into that second record. They were just blowing up. So, yeah. Now already <laughs> being on the tooth and nail side of it for 20 years, almost, how did you see five minute walks roll um, in comparison to tooth and nail when you were at five minute walk? How did you guys see yourself? Did you see yourself as sort of competitive or equal or what did you see yourselves as? Yeah, I would say, uh, I mean, there were a few labels at that time that were doing, that were really working with bands uh, in that weird kind of in between Christian music, alternative music, you know, scene. Um, it was really interesting. I mean, you know, there was like Betty Rocket Records, Five Minute Walk Records, Us, uh, Tooth and Nail Records. Uh, and they were all West Coast, you know, those three were West Coast. And so I think it was easy to uh, look at each other as competitors at that yeah. point. Um, but we were a much, sm I mean, Five Minute Walk at that point was a really small label and there wasn't like a drive to sign a bunch of artists. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was, it, it really was more like, well, how many artists can we like, feel uh that we can handle and 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 kind of create this continue to have this family atmosphere sure yeah i guess yeah. um you and i were joking about had five iron been signed tooth and nail during the <laughs> earliest days of tooth and nail in sort of direct competition with the supertones there might not have been as big of a scene for either of the bands well, I think it's interesting because there, and then there was the insiders too, at that same time, those three kind of um, were, they were all kind of jostling for that positioning, you know? Um, and I think that every, all of those bands just kind of fit the niche in a different way. And if any, if any two of those bands were on the same label, I think it would be really interesting to see like, was it the competitiveness that drove you know, some of the successes of these artists, you know, uh, that were in that same scene, um, you know, if they happen to both be on, yeah, Tooth and Nail Records or on Five Minute Walk Records or whatever, like, would, would they have been as strong? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because, don't so. because they both, like, it took a lot of effort and energy, I think, for hearing stories on the Supertones, right? I wasn't at Tooth and Nail at that time. I was over on the five minute walk side with, with five iron and like hearing the stories of like the energy and the effort that everybody put into um, kind of chasing the momentum that those bands have created. I mean, they, all, those bands worked really hard and toured like crazy, you know, to kind of get to the point that they, that they were. And 
um, you know, they were writing, if they weren't touring, they were in the studio writing a new record. So, yeah. So let's get down to brass tacks here. Cause this is our brave St. Saturn on tooth and nail <laughs> yeah. episode. This Light is the of, episode yeah, of things hoped for. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, Which so. I was at five minute walk too for that other, for the other one to the first, the first brave St. Saturn record. So, oh, right. so you, so you were able to kind of see how different, how differently did, did things go um, from the, the first record to the second record? And how did, and how did it be, come to be that they ended up on Tooth and Nail? Well, I think uh, it's interesting because I think in between those, those records, um, you know, Reese, Reese was a prolific writer. I mean, Dennis, like those guys in, in Five Iron, I think needed kind of other creative outlets. And so they'd, they'd uh, started, you know, investing their time and, and effort in probably just songwriting in general and maybe stuff didn't fit with Five Iron. And so I think as Reese came up with this concept for Brave St. Saturn and this like trilogy of albums, Space Odyssey, whatever you want to call it, uh, albums. But, uh, and so for, for him and for it being released, I think it was even released on Cerebellum Records versus right. Five Minute Walk, which was the same thing, but the sub-label of Five Minute Walk Records. Um, you know, Five Iron still dominated everyone's efforts at Five Minute Walk. Um, and so what's hard sometimes is artists, like front frontmen, let's say, go and they'll start another band, a side project, and... Um, it maybe isn't as successful or isn't as well received. And so sometimes I think that's a hard adjustment to make um, where everybody just wants to hear brand new day over and over again, you know? Yeah, every new day, <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it's like, or dandelions or, you know, whatever. Like they, they want to hear those songs. That's what they want to hear. And so I think when you're introducing something else that you want, you want fans to pay attention to it, sometimes it's a little bit hard. Uh, yeah. to, you know, to kind of figure out what, what is it that's successful at that time uh, for Brave St. Saturn and for take what me, they were doing. Take so, me through the angle, yeah, the angle of the pitch, like for you as probably the guy who advocated for this record to come out on Tooth and Nail to Brandon, to yeah. Jim or somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably the guy that said, I want to see this thing happen. This first record did okay. We had distribution for yeah. it. It got out to the stores. Um, that record comes out in January of the final year of Five Iron. So Five Iron is announced right. that they're doing their final tour. It's going to be all summer yep. and into November. We've got this side project record that we can kind of maybe ride a little bit of the coattails of Five Iron's last tour ever. And maybe it'll get some... And that, and that right there is the pitch. I mean, a little bit, yep. right? Like, not only that, like, some of the guys from Five Iron were committed to be in Brave St. Saturn and play with Reese. I mean, they were a part of the band, right? Dennis was a part of the band. It was, I mean, uh, and Andy and, and all of those guys, I mean, they were a part of what was going on with Brave St. Saturn. And so as Five Iron was ending, it did seem like a great opportunity to support this side project which potentially was going to be the main project for Reese going forward. And so yeah. I think that was ultimately the, the pitch where it made sense from even a business level, you know, yeah. but then not only a business level, like those guys are, I mean, to me, they 
they're just good guys. And, and yeah. they're, they're people that you want to be around and that you want to work with. They're fun. They have a lot of creativity and a lot of really fun ideas. And so to me, it was like a really easy decision and it wasn't really hard to convince uh, Brandon, you know, to, to work with Brave St. Saturn and, and Reese yeah. at the time. So. Did you option it as one record only, or did you say there's a potential for more uh, after this? You, you know remember? what? I honestly, I, I don't remember actually. Uh, yeah. I, I was actually going to look that up before we hopped on here, but I, I didn't have a chance to, but I was curious about that as well. Um, yeah. Because I, I would say like, you know, it was successful on the level that like it was well received from people. I think people really liked it, especially compared to the first one. And when we, you know, when I had heard those songs on the new record, I, I felt like, they were better for sure. Yeah. You know, they were better songs. It was a more cohesive album. I think, I think yeah. that uh, Reese kind of knew maybe a little bit more of a direction of where he was headed with it. So yes. um, significantly so less rapping. It, yeah. Yes. Less rapping. <laughs> significantly less of like Frank Tate rapping or anything <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> I, think, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know who Frank Tate is. I know who Frankie T is. Yeah. Oh yeah, Frankie Z, that's right. Come on. I think good thing I got that right. I was rem I was hoping that wasn't on the second record, you know. No, no, no. no that no. was he's, he's Shadow yeah. of Death. But in yeah. yeah, but you know, that was I mean, those were fun times anyway. Like thinking back on that whole thing with the first record, the second record, and being in the studio, like those were fun times. And so yeah. um with the second record, I was very much more removed because I had lived in Seattle and then it, but it was fun again to be able to work with these guys that I had a really good relationship with from Five Minute Walk, you know. Yeah. Um so. I had it was, a, it was an anomaly. Yeah. Go um, ahead, Andrew. Yeah. So out of uh, th this is sort of like a nitty gritty question since you just said you were a little bit more hands off with the second record and maybe you were, I don't know if you were more just involved with the pitch. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I guess that I'm curious about is uh, a couple of the songs that ended up being censored after, you know, when, when they were released, uh, heart still beat and um, heart still beats and enamel. And, censoring out the words hell and pissed off which i feel like you know for for you know a, a label that puts out primarily christian artists some might say like okay that makes a little bit of sense but it's but when you look at uh the cooties record that came out in 97 <laughs> they had the exact same words uh yeah. on, on on that record so i'm, I'm i was curious if it if it if it had more to do with like uh, the overt Christian nature of a lot of, of Reese's writing and, and coming from five minute walk or what, how that decision came to be made. So Christian retail was such a powerful um, place that people purchased albums. And even when it comes to five iron frenzy, like the majority of what they sold were through like Lifeway and family Christian bookstores. Right. Um, and so they were, they were a group, you know, they were retailers that we basically had to run things by. And if, if there was a chance that we weren't going to get an album, a physical album, because this was before kind of the digital revolution of, sure. of things, um, if, if we weren't going to be able to get an album into those retailers, it would have severely crippled sales or and getting the music out there which i would think the artists would want music out there anyway to people um and so 
there just wasn't the same accessibility that there is today um, when it comes to music. So, so I would say think, that, you know, the, probably the reason for that was so that we could cater to these retailers that were going to take it in, you know, and, and tooth and nail at this point, like we would have no, like, that's not even like a thing that crosses our mind, you know, yeah. but at that point it was so tied into, you know, Lifeway, yeah. family, parable stores, you know, those kinds of places. So, yeah. Do you think you proactively censored them, like took the edits to the songs and like scrambled out the profanity from the songs? <laughs> or do you think that you had to submit lyrics with the words pissed off and then the Lifeway Southern Baptist Convention comes back to you and says, negative, we're not taking it unless you change it. Do you recall anything like that? Because there's probably other instances I don't, like that. Yeah, I don't actually recall, to be honest. I mean, I remember, I remember getting records like pulled from the shelves because like it said bastard in it or something like right. that from, from Lifeway. But I don't really recall this situation. My guess is we pre preemptively did it based on our knowledge of what flew <laughs> for <Sure>. them before. <laughs> I remember so. <laughs> that deadline deadlines record with the guy with yeah. the half eaten face getting pulled off the shelves and Heck resubmitted yeah. with the new cover. How many times did that happen? Obviously it happened with squad five Oh for September yeah. 11th that got pulled off. Yeah, the which we, and... we preemptively did that. I don't think that was even based on like anybody except we preemptively did that one. And, and there were, there were titles, there were albums that we just wouldn't even release into Christian retail because of different, whatever the, whatever the issue was. Can you, you know, think of any overall. examples of that? Um, well, I know the, the one that I was going to say that had Bastard in it that got pulled, Demon Hunter, uh, like oh. one of their songs is Bastard in it. Lifeway chose not to take that record, even though they were a, an, an artist that was really overt and really, you know, and, and even their the cover of their first record. I remember having controversy on that. I believe we put a sticker on that for Christian Retail wow. um, over that one. So, yeah, there were there are instances that we had. Uh, specifically, I would say around solid state records that, you know, different covers that we'd have there that were just more dark that we would get questioned or the, or the accounts just wouldn't take them and, and sell them. Yeah. I feel like Zayo at some point had issues with that as well. Maybe the one with the guy with the eyeliner on it, even just that was enough oh, to maybe make so. Christian bookstores say, okay, what are you doing here? What are you trying to teach our I kids? Don't <laughs> I don't know. That's where I bought my, my Zayo records at the Christian bookstore in my little town. So <laughs> my first realization but. of that was, um, this is not a tooth and nail band, but um, that the fundamental elements of Southtown by POD, oh, yeah. because it was like too mystical and it was like, yes. too, so they just like, it was just pretty much a giant black box around everything else going around. Uh, totally. The, yeah. So it was just like, why, why it's, but yeah. Yeah. And again, again, that comes down to like, they were the gatekeepers. And so right. if we wanted Brave St. Saturn to be sold at those accounts, which we did at the time, you know, that was kind of a core place that the audience, when there was this weird scene of like, which I wish still existed actually, but like youth groups and that's where you found out about the new music, yeah. right? You went to your Christian bookstore and were like, what new Tooth & Nail record came in this yeah. week? you know and this uh, is the crux I know that was, of our that podcast. was me <laughs> we, <Yeah. laughs> we we talk about the christian bookstore scene and and youth group stuff how 
how much we discovered music during the nineties. And that's, you just walked totally. into, you walked into a Christian bookstore and went to go and look in that little alternative section to find out what was new, what, you know, exactly. what, sam- what samplers came out, what's going, you know, the, you know, <laughs> yeah. th- that sort of stuff. That's, that's how you, yeah. it was all organic, how you discovered music. It wasn't like an it algorithm. Was. It was, it was from a friend or just like being like, Oh, that, that cover looks kind of cool. Totally. Or do you have a demo that I can listen to, you know, in the like <laughs> yeah. CD player or tape player in the back? So it was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. And your parents would pay for it too, which was the other nice thing. Cause they knew that oh, it had man. been sort of sanctioned and vetted. You could get <laughs> free right. albums from your parents of music you liked that they didn't like. The $16 records or whatever. On their, <laughs> on their dime. I know. It's right? better than you can't go to a record store and buy like hand heavy petting zoo from no effects to your mom and say, will you get this for me? <laughs> That's right. But, uh, you could with the Brave Saint Saturn astronaut in the front or whatever. Yeah, right. um, yeah it's like, oh, so, it must be okay. So to, to conclude, um, I wanted to just walk through in the context of like 2003, you have this yeah. historical paradigm shift of tooth and nail legacy artists starting to break up. The bands yep. that people became very familiar and tooth and nail sort of built their entire reputation on Supertone, Slick Shoes, um, mm-hmm. all these types of acts are going away and you're ushering into this new emo metal core, uh, the, the golden era of tooth and nail as people financially would see it, uh, the, the time when you yeah. guys blew up truly on radio. Yeah, like and, 2005. And, and yeah, yeah, exactly. You're in this in-between phase and certainly the light of things hoped for the Brave Saint Saturn record does not fit into that narrative at all. It's an outlier and a far outlier uh, in terms of the musical styling, the concept of like them being tied vaguely to a ska band. It's like a weird little thing. So where do you see the album sort of fitting in that historical context of like the tooth and nail canon? Is it just like a weird one-off that you feel proud to have associated with or what? Yeah, I think to some degree. I mean, we, I think tooth and nail has always been really open to releasing music that staff members just like you know as a whole and we've taken risks and some records are one-off records just because we think they're great um or we think the people are great and for me i know that i i really love those five iron guys it was a great experience to work with them that five minute walk and so to me it was like an opportunity to to be able to go like hey i get to support what they're doing going forward and not only that, I mean, it made a lot of sense. We were putting out stuff like Bleach, you know, and Holland, and those guys toured with them. And it yeah. made kind of some sort of a, it made sense in some sort of a way, in my brain at least, and I'm sure in Brandon's head too, about like why why putting a Brave St. Saturn record out would, would make sense, you know? Yeah. So, and then, yeah. And then into the flow of, you know, when they reunited, you were sitting at the front lines of that. You're the first guy they call to help with a lot of the <laughs> issues that they had coming back from the ether, like not knowing what to do, how the, how the entire world had changed in that eight year gap Overnight, between, yeah, yeah. Well, well, over eight years, especially from the day that they're yeah. not a band anymore, selling CDs at Lifeway to when yep. they come back and do engine of a million plots, mm-hmm. you're the guy they exactly. call and, and, and what do you say to them when you get a call out of the blue from five iron frenzy? What's your, are you just stoked or what's your feeling on that when that happens? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think cautiously stoked. When a band breaks up and comes back together eight years later, you kind of uh, hear them out. And to me, it feels like uh, 
it's a lot of education too. Uh, luckily they had, they did have a manager that was working with them that sort of was in it and they kind of, he understood kind of the process of where things were at in the music industry. And so, um, but I think overall, you know, that the industry changed drastically. So yeah. who even knows with like, they're an older band at that point too, when they come back, you know, and they're like, who is the audience? Are, are parents going to bring their kids out? Because all those people grow, that grew up with Fiverr and a lot of them have kids now, you know, like yeah. where, where are they going to be? And so um, I think it was just, it was a really fun opportunity to reconnect in my opinion. So, yeah. I remember vividly the day that you came into Fraser's office in Tooth and Nail and I'm sitting there <laughs> playing the guitar and you say, MXPX and Five Iron are going to tour together. Can you believe it? At that time, <laughs> MXPX was just Mike. Yeah. And you're like, it's going to be all the original MXPX guys. It's going to be Five Iron Frenzy. And I said, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that's ever happening. No way. I don't <laughs> see it ever it. happening. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And now it's like the longest tour ever. It's an eight right. year the long ongoing, tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lifetime tour, man. <laughs> shows, shows what we know. I wanted to just thank you for your time. You're the yeah, unsung man. hero yeah. in my mind of all the stuff that's oh. happened behind the scenes at Five Iron. And that's kind of what this podcast is about. Showcasing not just the story of the band, but all the people who helped make these memories that we have and affiliations and emotional nostalgia we have with the band come to life. You're definitely a huge player in that. So you're awesome, Tyson. Ah, it's great thanks. to talk to you. Well, it's, yeah, it's nice to talk to you guys too. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, man. Thanks again. Cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Easy breezy. Thanks, right. dude. Later. Take care. Yeah. All right, we are back. And John, who's uh who's that over there? We talking hmm. we talking Jason from Unoriginal Vinyl, Shadow Producer over here? Hey, how you guys doing? How's it going over there? <laughs> hey, are you howling at the moon over there tonight? Uh, just been howling at the moon all afternoon. What are you guys doing over there? Is it fucking hot over there or what? <laughs> oh, we've, had some, we've had some nice days up here in, in Minneapolis. I don't know about uh, Colorado or, uh, or you know, Palatine. It's not snowing, which it usually is where you are, Jason, so... Yeah, just stop. Just stop. Am I going to do this voice the whole time? Sure. I really hope so. <laughs> I talked about doing my my terrible Australian accent for an entire episode. Oh, man. Yeah, this is what's going to keep us charting, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, all of our all of our Bolivian listeners have fallen off. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Unsubscribe. All right, so we're going to be talking about the lights of things hope for the second in the brave saint saturn trilogy mm -hmm. uh i foresee some significant controversy <laughs> in this episode not yeah. not no i mean I, I feel like you're setting it up that i like hate this which i don't hate it um, uh, but I well, do not like it as much as Jason, <laughs> and I'm eager to hear. I didn't say I do not like it. I said I do not like it as much as you and as much as Jason. So I'm I, I'm eager to to get into it. But okay, all right. So uh, tooth and nail, going from uh, Frankie T on Five Minute Walk mm -hmm. to Tooth and Nail, as we heard from. Uh, our boy, 
uh, from Tooth and Nail. Um, okay, Tyson, Tyson Paoletti. As we heard from our boy Tyson Paoletti from Tooth and Nail, how this all went down. Um, Jason, let's talk about 2003 when this album dropped. Did you snag this record when it came out? Because I can, I, I did not, and I can probably say for certain that John absolutely did not have this record back in 2003. No. A hundred percent. I just bought it the day it came out. It was a, it was like a fucking Tuesday. I had pre-ordered it. I worked at a record store. It was called the finest CDs and tapes. I totally bought it. Like the day it came out, it was a regular independent record store that I worked at, but I got it the day it comes out. Was, uh, was the, this was like a maybe like a new and used CD place or music a- store. Absolutely, record store through and through Fort Collins, Colorado. Rest in peace, the finest. <laughs> Pour one out. I feel like I've heard of that. Should I have heard of them? Like, yeah. Seems like a, a name that I know somehow. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so this was. You, go ahead. I was just gonna ask. Were you? So you were a fan of the first record and were eagerly awaiting this one. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you, you, but you're seriously going to do this voice? Uh, please don't. Absolutely. Please do not. <laughs> do it. Do it as long as you it's feel gonna, called to. It's going to be. It's going to be a hard, hard to have like serious emotional conversations about some of these songs. Oh, Yo, boy. you guys fucking heard Estrella? That song about the guy who died? Oh boy! Like yeah. like that? That's what that you're thing is, That thing is a tearjerker, man. <laughs> Folks I, those pretty folks, sad. Like, I don't tugs, know. At, tugs at those goddamn heartstrings over here. Oh, yeah. it's, it's pretty Jeez. sad. It's oh, pretty man. sad. It's pretty sad. <laughs> We're supposed to keep this nonsense in the first half. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, I'm back. I'm back. We're oh, good. Okay. Right. Uh, right, Jason, sure. you're finally here. This guy was talking to us for a while. Um, <laughs> his buddies with Greg Taint. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, you, you picked yes. this up in 2003. The day it came out. Absolutely. Okay. Stoked. What was your what was your initial reaction this coming best, from? This is the best thing Reese Roper has ever written. Wow, interesting, and it stays that to this day. Wow, fascinating. Yeah, no, I bought this record the day it came out, and I loved it the moment I heard it. And it came out my freshman year of college, working at a record store, uh, and it was it was like that whole year for some reason was so heavy for everybody who was a five iron frenzy fan that they were looking for anything hopeful mm. and, and kind of a rainbow or a light at the end of the tunnel. Other than this thing is like an accelerating car. That's going to be crash tested against a brick wall, which is kind of how the final five iron tour felt for a lot of really diehard fans. They sure. felt like this is going to just speed crash into a wall and then going to be left just picking up shattered pieces of this band for, who knows how long and then this album comes out that is all about redemption and hope and light in the midst of dark things and stuff like that and so hmm. i had i had just come off of like a you know like a breakup you go you date a girl in high school throughout all high school and you decide you're going to go to college together and you break up in the first two weeks uh yeah mine was like two months maybe but yeah very very same <laughs> totally yeah and so this is like the the sort of the thing that you hang your hat on for like, I'm in a deep, dark well of a place. Yeah. I got to find a way to pull myself out of here. Who am I going to lean on right now for this? And for me, it was like all Reese Roper. Sure. So you, you're, 
uh, connection to this album is a very visceral uh, sort of early, early, you know, late teens, early 20s kind of experience. Yes. Yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can feel that, especially with, you know, you know, songs like, songs like Enamel, especially. Um, I can, I can probably uh, guess that there's probably a little bit of, a little bit of that when talking about a, a relationship going south. It's also straight mellow, like get into that first track right now because it's straight melodramatic. It's not, it starts off very harsh tones, minor key with a woman who's basically just saying like, you're orbiting nothing. Yeah. Your life is your life is bleak and empty. Right. Let's go. Yeah, it kind of lays out the whole metaphor of the record, which is like space being this journey. In a perfect orbit, they have. There we go. As the light of many worlds falls softly on their skin, and days here pass like minutes, one moment of brilliant daylight will shift into the next. A flash of dark behind some distant lost moon. And then it is over. Like the pause before waking, sleep is replaced by light and life and hope. It is the light of one far away sun that has beckoned them to leave and the hope of home that has lifted them from slumber. The hope that though the dark may come, Yeah, a little, but, uh, little more, little more Hemingway reference. As uh, yes, Reese, you know, seems to be a, a Hemingway fan. Right, but uh, yeah, again, it's like this using space as sort of the metaphor for like um, depression and death, um, but hope through faith. And um, yeah, I, I here's what I'll say up top, and I'm very like open to being convinced otherwise throughout this. But I feel like I like the first record more, which I know is an unpopular opinion i feel like this is sort of considered the best of the three um but that one felt a little weirder to me maybe overall like musically like i think i'm just that it's you know i love the spacey stuff i love that like the story is made more explicit on this record um right but i i just think the sort of general like acoustic driven pop leaning rock is just like not my preferred mode so like i love the spacey stuff i love the like bleeps and bloops but for me this like feels and you know tell me i'm i'm wrong if i am but like you know when angels and airwaves came out <laughs> yeah. and it was like kind of the like serious this is the serious spacey version of a sillier band i'm just like it feels a little like a little much to me i don't know I mean, to go from the first So Far From Home record and one of the critiques was that there wasn't really a consistency or a theme or, you know, there were things that it's like, okay, so this is sort of part of a space trilogy, but there are things that don't really connect from right. song to song. And then you have Shadow of Depth, which makes no sense. And <laughs> yeah. 
and then you have Rocket Town, which also doesn't make any sense. Um, I feel like Reese tied up a lot of those loose ends on this record, and I think one of the issues you're having is not so much the construction of the record, which I think is objectively uh, more thoughtful than the first record. I just don't think you like the musical style. And yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, you don't I, like you don't like like Vertical Horizon and Matchbox Twenty <laughs> and like those bands very much. Then no, and for me this does kind of conjure that stuff. But I understand if you think that's not <laughs> correct. But that's kind of what it feels no, it, like. You're, I think you're spot on. I think okay. there's certainly more emotive, like Juliana Theory style emo incorporated into this record than maybe you're See, giving it credit for, but it definitely does some like alternative pop hook. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I did, and Juliana Theory. Andrew and I were debating this. Was this off mic or on mic? I don't even remember. But like, what? When do I? decide what emo is acceptable to me and what isn't and for some reason juliana theory also very overblown but that like worked for me maybe because it was like a little more uh like gritty and uh not gritty, but it also but... juliana theory was its own thing if, yeah sure. if if juliana theory had another maybe more fun project and then they, sure, sure. And then they yeah. went into Juliana theory. You'd be like, oh, God damn, guys, come on. This is so... But like, I think that's how it was for Zayo fans, like fans of Zayo that saw Brett Dieter go from Zayo to Juliana theory and hear this, sure. is, this is your life, that song. It's just yeah, the yeah. chorus is just baby, baby, baby. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. like, what is this? But it wasn't bad. I just... It, that song in Juliana theory belongs but, on this record or this but, record Brett, belongs I mean, on anything. But Brett, he wasn't like... He was in Zayo, but he it wasn't like it wasn't like Reese Roper to sure Saint Saturn. It wasn't You're like correct. Brett yeah. Dieter to it was from Zayo mouthpiece figurehead yep. of the band, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I guess I could th- I would I, you know it, it's I guess it would be like for people it, the most apt comparison would be obviously MXPX to Arthur, which yep. John yeah. famously was just like fuck this <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't say i was just like uh, i like this more than arthur but yeah it was just another not not even like i didn't hate that either just like it's not the mode that that does it for me um but i will say okay so some overall notes about the album so this was produced by masaki and reese which jason you might know but that's the first time he's gotten a producing credit right uh, that's correct. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's so recent Dennis on guitar um, and keys and organ and piano and programming. I think both of them pretty much do all that stuff. Keith on yep. bass, Andy on drums. Um, Aaron James did the artwork and design for it, which I think is cool. Um, Got Justin then, McRoberts on this, on this again. Wasn't Justin he, McRoberts. Wasn't he on a, what was he, wasn't, didn't he do something with, uh, I thought he did something with them as well uh previously he's done, he, he's done a lot of stuff with them over the he sang for them obviously for a couple right, of shows right. when reese was sick yeah right. we got that voicemail about that yeah <laughs> but uh, to be fair reese did do all the illustrations right yeah he did the illustrations super cool yeah, yeah i'm into the vibe i'm into the whole okay so just to kind of lay out the whole uh, uh story of the record so this is the uss gloria calling back to the song from the last album exploring the moons of saturn um at the beginning they're like mission control is telling them to return home but then they sort of um 
started emitting gas and it sends the ship into Titan, Saturn's largest moon. Communications cut out, and that's kind of where the comparisons to sort of uh, being in the darkness, being away from the light of Christ, and then, you know, we'll get there, but at the end of the album, the radio transmissions between Gloria Mission Control come back. Gloria emerges from Titan into the light. Um, I think it, like it's a really cool kind of metaphor, and I do think they get a lot out of that. So, anyway. And there's a lot more uh, connecting tracks. Yes. Yeah. Much less loose. Um, we should also say that's uh, Jen Hollingsworth doing the prologue and some of the other narrator tracks, who yeah. was in uh, Rivulets and Violets with, with Saki. Um, but, yeah, I think she's... She's a cool presence. For me, this record was also, it wasn't just about like going away from either a relationship or going into a dark, depressive, depressive place. But it was also about when it hit me, I was growing up and sure. have, finding my own voice and finding my own faith and my own version of who I wanted to start to become as an adult person. And when you're 19 years old or whatever, you're just exploring that notion. And some people explore them through drugs or like who their friend groups are and stuff like that i personally explored those notions through listening to this record yeah no, that's that makes... a big thing for me so it wasn't just like deciding do i want to be a christian do i want to believe in this jesus thing for me it was like do i want to just you know be a person of integrity as i get older do i want to set like my values up now for the rest of my life or start to at least create this sort of moral code for myself that I want yeah. to abide by. And how is that going to be informed? Uh, yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, this could be another one of those records where if it had hit me at the moment, it, it could have resonated yeah. differently than now. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's possible for me as well. I mean, I obviously have way more sentimental connection to the first record because it, planted at a time that I was paying attention to that. And then um, just sort of like with Five Iron Frenzy's last tour, as I was kind of into the throes of my uh, second, um, you know, I also realized, I don't think I even made the connection that that final tour I was uh, in 2003, I was, working at camp and then I was in Sweden that entire fall semester. So I wasn't even in the country mm. during, <laughs> during that final, that final, uh, fall tour. Right. So, yeah. um, but anyway, um, so Jason, as you know, we do a top three. Would, do you have your top three prepared or would you know what your top three would be as we, as I've, we thought, cover them. I've thought about it quite a bit today. Yeah, I think I have it. It's hard okay. though, because I truly do love almost this entire record so okay. much. Great. All right, let's go. Let's go. All right. The uh, first let's go. Yeah. First, <laughs> the first honest uh, track. It also rises. Yeah. yeah. Up the microphone, I flip the switch. We're going home. Transistors right on time. Resistors falling in line. Capacitors are at full. All engines good. No breach of 
So this just narrowly, narrowly misses my top three. I have it as an honorable mention. It's my number two. Okay. I'd say it's still my number one. Okay. All right. Right on. Just that gargly bass that you don't really think about yeah. it in, instinctively, but you realize later in the, the like aughts of 2000, the whole 2000 to 2009 decade, you got so much of that just groggly, gargly sound based yeah. on like the Black Keys and like the White Stripes coming up and all those types of bands. And this was just like in that pocket. You hear immediately Andy Verdecchio's like drumming, like, yeah. oh, this this record's going to have some drumming on it. It's right. like thick. Everything's thick in this mix. Yeah, for sure. I love it, that bass. I think it sounds yeah, great. It has, it does have a Space Robot 5 kind of feel to yes. it. Yes, yep. Kind of kicking things off um, and the energy of it. And Yeah, I there, there are lots of songs on this record where I'm like, okay, so that's the Space Robot 5 and that's the Resistor song. And yeah, yeah. It, there, there's some sort of analogous uh songs on this record that kind of have that borrow similar themes or continue the the similar themes but it also feels a little bit supercharged like it feels like the production value is better you feel like you get a sense of masaki as a producer having eight years of experience producing records under his belt and knowing how to transition out of like this doesn't sound anything like a five iron frenzy record. No, right. it doesn't. So he yeah. has like the versatility as a producer to make something sound both like the rentals. Yeah. The return yeah. of the rentals. Totally. And also that like college rock sound. Like yep. it's very raw garage rock. It's really cool. I, I dig it. And I love the, I love the Moog stuff the most. Oh man. The keys. I just so on board for. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, one thing I wanted to cover about this song uh, that we haven't gotten to. Love the claps. I'm really yeah. in. I'm really into the claps. They're great. Yep, I agree. That, that it was. This song was a, a initially in my top three, mm-hmm. uh, but I just yeah, it was it was a hard. It was a hard, uh, I had, I, there was a swap. Omission. Okay. I mean, it's fine that you left out a song that begins with a nice, yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's fine. Um, uh, yeah. The sun <laughs> also rises. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is um, the same. Yeah. As the day we killed crazy horse. I know. It's, it's like the, the best. One. It's the best. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and again, like thematically, this is kind of, you know, when the crew has the hopefulness of going home, but that's also, you know, home being a metaphor for Jesus, like the crew thinks that that's what's going to happen. Um, but it also, in a in a perfect story arc, safely guides you to the end of the yes, story right, right, right at the beginning. It tells you where we're headed with this whole thing, no matter how desperate, yeah. now, how, how low you're going to get in this journey with us, the sun will rise at the end of this album. Yeah, that's a great point. I also, this is, I don't know Reese's writing style, but I feel like, I don't know if he just like 
uh oh like googled circuit board and just like looked no, up the words. He, he was watch- he's gotta be watching back to the future just thinking these lyrics <laughs> out loud as doc brown because the first <laughs> verse is just doc brown talking exposition <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah like transistors redis- resist resistors capacitors gigawatts. i know he's got capacitors in there like come on yeah 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 and uh you know the, the cord runs up the microphone it's like marty getting ready to strike his, uh, his guitar straight up back to the future references <laughs> which i'm totally down with and he obviously was as well making roper and all that at the same yeah. time yeah. yeah 1985 right exactly all right, let's true. Yeah. let's move into binary let's do it i wanna push you around well i will Pretty sure you made that joke last episode. It's because there's so many songs that sound like that. song that sounds to me so much like resistor it yeah. has yeah i can see that yeah i mean it has that kind of uh same sort of guitar picking yeah i probably made that same joke on that song <laughs> yep but you know andy used to say that the brave saint saturn records were his favorite drumming interesting uh, that he ever did and that is really evident in binary because like that whole beginning when he comes in and he's just doing rim shots but he's yeah. also got a like a drum brush that's he's tapping the snare with that's yeah. all he's doing he's tapping the snare when he's doing that like there's no five iron frenzy song that he's using brushes right yeah on his drum set he's always playing loud and hard Right. And this gives like this sense of like, oh, he can be a really dynamic drummer. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I definitely understand the impulse of playing in a band like Fiverr and wanting to do something more like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this song doesn't do a ton for me. I don't know. It, I mean, we're back to the kind of like um, now we're lost in space slash morning and ended relationship territory again, um, like using that as a metaphor. I do like that spacey bridge that comes in later. Um, yeah, it's it. It's a curious second song for me because it's like you start off with the energy of the sun also rises, and then you immediately slam on the brakes. Yep. Yeah. This it's. I feel like it's 
it's too early uh too early in the record for for this kind of slow downer of a song yep but that just that has more to do with sequencing than it does with <laughs> than the actual song sure it um, does make sense in the narrative of the album to put it where they put it the way that the song describes this like the story of the album it makes sense in the context at the beginning of the album still yeah where they're right. lost and lonely and drifting in space but there's you know and he's just dreaming of his muse he's just thinking of this lady far off in the dante's inferno an analogy who's that penelope or something like that i can't think of her Sounds right yeah uh cool yeah that's all, all right all right Merc- mercury Ooh. Ooh. And in other news, the crew of the USS Gloria has at last completed their survey of the planet Saturn and its moons. The crew has been on their mission for almost five years now and will begin their return sometime later this week. Personnel at the Kennedy Space Center are... So, um, on, on Wikipedia, this is credited as Saki. So are oh, we interesting. Are we to understand that Saki, like, maybe wrote out this narrative or that this is some sort of affected vocal. I think of... it's an affected vocal from what I remember him talking like that does sound like his voice. Yeah, I guess I could see that. That's interesting. Yeah. The first record is pretty much collection of but... actual historical recordings. And this is like stuff that sounds like that, but made for the record. And they're creating this storyline here, but I, right. it could be Dennis. Cause Dennis has that weird, like yeah, yeah, cha- yeah. changes voice around. I don't know. That'd be a good Reese question for the text that's, messages. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And another news: the crew of the USS Gloria has at last completed their survey of the planet. Yeah, it, it has yes. like it has like like the 1940s newsreel kind right. of vibe. It <laughs> does. There's a couple ways that he articulates the phrasing that sounds socky to me. So I could mm, be wrong. But fascinating. Socky Anyways, get let's get let's get some rocking going. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Ooh, oh, yeah. oh shit. <laughs> uh, it sounds so good. Here's another song with the four all this chords and his story. I guess I lost all ambition turning left on misery. So get this, that get that out of the Christian bookstore right now. <laughs> get it this out. This is this is my number two. Okay. Okay. You can see that. Um but let's let's hear the <laughs> let's hear the unedited uh version of that. I think it just really drives into the verse 
Yeah, it's like the so, climax of the section. And he nails he nails it. He holds the note, and yes. it sounds he, great. He puts a little extra pepper on the L. Yeah. On the other hand, the river, river. I mean, that's a perfect ending to that part. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> it hurts like it hurts like what? Yes. I never uh, liked I never liked the analogy in the chorus of this song. For some reason, it never resonated with me. It's like there's a part of me that has to always come at, like realize that when you're writing ev- like so much metaphor, like Reese Roper always did, there's going to be things that just don't land for me. Yeah, I have questions. Okay, so he's like, I, I assume this is about his ex. Um, he's One like, think. <laughs> so hollow, like your wedding bells. Jeez, that's that's harsh. Um, and then is she from Mexico? You like he hopes she gets deported. Like I'm totally interested in that part. No. But. So um, I think there's. I mean, I don't know if Reese would want to talk about this or not. But so part of me, like what I think of enamel, what I think, uh, you know, people talk about, you know, the skin of your teeth. You know right. that that something is, and I think that there's something within this relationship that is like barely holding on it's barely, sure. it's it's barely like surviving and but i also think that there's something to um you know saying you're beautiful and i just think too there might be something with like having to do with like maybe she has a beautiful smile and that like she's you know you know enamel teeth whatever um that there's that uh you know but she's beautiful but not beneath your skin so there's just something that like she you know uh and so maybe there's something on the surface that people might think that <sighs> there's something great about her but um it's i don't pretty, know it's a pretty sick burn of a song it is. it is it makes me think of there's uh that that brand the the brand new song uh i mean brand new had a lot of songs that were just like this is this is like the one fuck you song i think that i can think of that reese did that's like like a pretty serious like you're you're trash i'm not holding it back at all (laughs) yeah right yeah um but also like um you know i hope you cannot sleep i hope you cannot smile i hope that you're burdened with your guilt for quite a while um (laughs) yeah you know it's just like stuff yeah that sounds like a that sounds straight up like he's gotten to that like if you're talking about phases of your breakup, like he's at yeah. the jilted, jilted ex-lover yes. phase. Yeah, totally. Mm. Which, yeah. You uh, know, does it have a place on this album as well? Thematically? No, but it probably yeah. felt damn good. Cause it's an, emotion- <laughs> right. it's an emotional album. So he's like, it's I'm going to vomit all my emotions out. Sure. And if it doesn't fit the theme to hell with it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's catharsis. It's right. my shadow. It's my shadow of death moment for him. Like if he's <laughs> yeah, going to have sure. one that doesn't fit the context of the, like, if you're going with this as a concept album, then you've got to get it out there. I will take this uh, over that. Um, But yeah, it is funny that the the last song is sort of like pining for his love. And then this one's just like, go to hell, literally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So wait, Andrew, did you say this is your number two or your number one? It's my number two. Number two. Okay, cool. Moving on. Anastasia. Anastasia. Um, More like I'm on Anastasia. (laughs) <laughs> Good one. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh Nailed it. shit! Hot take coming our way. 
This is my number three. Explain yourself. <laughs> Tell us about that. Okay. I like the opening riff. I will say the verses do not do much at all for me. Um, but okay. I sort of feel the way about it that I do about Independence Day off the first record where I'm kind of like not totally on board for the verses, but then the chorus like makes up for it so much. And then by the time, can we hear a little of the bridge where there's that like wheezery guitar solo? it totally shifts into Ooh. Yeah. Only in dreams. Yeah, exactly. Uh, see, I can't resist this. And this kind of builds. Exactly. Andrew is not convinced. I'll, I'll give it to you. It's, it's, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, it, I, the kind of like minor key, the descending thing, and the sort of like fuzzy Weezer guitar, like it builds into the, yeah, Only in Dreams. I guess I'm just such a sucker for that sound. What the, the song yeah. lacks that Only in Dreams does perfectly is dynamics. Dynamics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think that you're it, incorrect. It but. starts off like full volume. He's singing full out. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Andy is playing full volume drums in an unnecessary manner. Like this song needed... Some <laughs> right, that's true. Br- some brushes, some, some brushes yeah. going right, right, at right. the beginning, so you could build to something like you just talked about. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a d- mid-tempo rock song, as it is. Right. Yeah. The if it didn't build to that part we just listened to, I wouldn't be as into it. I mean, maybe build is <laughs> an arguable word, but like transition into that sound, I wouldn't be into it. But it's kind of a flatliner for me. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's if I, if if you told me to guess. <laughs> this would be in your top three this probably would have been one of my last guesses yeah I, i'd say this pushed out enamel probably just because i like that part so much but fascinating yeah <laughs> all right uh now we're on to lincoln park i mean uh titan <laughs> crawling in my sleep <laughs> oh, right away hear it Shall we play a game? Oh, 
is my number three okay interesting that this... makes sense you did just buy hybrid theory this day <laughs> i did i just what? uh yeah i got hybrid theory on vinyl and in, in today oh is that true <laughs> yeah oh okay um, no, i i i okay so this this album came out at a time when lincoln park was obliterating in the charts yeah uh right. you know in the early 2000s and the early aughts, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, they were Lincoln Park was still crushing it, and this definitely has that uh, Lincoln Park vibe, sans rapping. Right. Um, but I'm I I'm just really into I'm really into it. I'm really into it. I I like the the simplicity. I like that the 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 record scratching makes a little more sense on this style of a song sure um but just the also the screamy the screamy vocals with like the sort of delay and everything it's awesome we're always here for screamy reese um yeah yeah jason i'm interested to hear your take i i like the fact that it uh has such like it's the shortest lyrically in the whole album there's the least amount of lyrics he's trying to make his point quickly and without a lot of analogy and without a just like, I don't know. I, I never really liked listening to this song straight all the way through in the middle of the context of the album, but there would be times when I would and I'd go, I totally get why this is here. It needs to be on this album to keep it from being um, just sort of either too sugary or too deeply emotive it needs to get to that raw place it's a raw song i like that yeah. about it i would this is this is up there with some of the other really heavy five iron songs that i would just love to see reese go hard as fuck on this song live because yeah, cool. and and andy just obliterating the drums too on this song would just yeah. be it's it's great it's so heavy it's awesome yeah, I feel conflicted about it. I don't know. I mean, okay, we should say first of all that this does have the "Shall We Play a Game" from War Games clip right. that I am very glad you incorporated into our first segment. Um, yeah, I. It's interesting. It feels kind of like it's in the like two twenty nine um, from the last yeah. record vibe, mm-hmm. where it's yeah. like scratches, and you weren't really into that so much, Andrew, and I was. Well, this I just it didn't. This feel, is heavier for sure. This this to me it sounds like Linkin Park and so it makes more sense to me. Sure. Uh, yeah. 229 has I don't know it just didn't it I can see, see the comparison it just didn't it This just is didn't. where our paths diverted in 2000 because I'm like Linkin Park was never my jam but I liked the like turntableism of like trip hop and stuff so I think that's why like 229 was doing it for me this one I don't know I'm into it like I like the hardness of it I like the bleeps and bloops it feels a little 
cheesy. Like it feels a little like that kind of 1999 Matrix soundtrack kind of vibe. <laughs> you know, like, I, uh, I don't. You didn't. So you didn't. Get, I don't remember because I'm pretty sure that when we discussed uh, 99, 2000, or in our er, earlier in the season, I'm pretty sure I put Hybrid Theory on my on my yeah. on my music list. So you, I mean, the, I'm not like opposed to them. They were just never really my thing. I really liked that like EP they did with Jay Z. That was the one that was kind of like uh, crossed over for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just the whole kind of like sludgy hard rock guitars and DJ scratches was never really my my vibe. Jason, where do you stand on on Lincoln Park? No. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. All right, fine. I'll just stand out here with my dick in the wind by myself. <laughs> Enjoy it. Exposition. Breaking news regarding a horrific tragedy with our nation's space program. Apparently, there has been a malfunction of unknown origin aboard the USS Gloria, the manned spacecraft currently in orbit around Saturn's moon Titan. Preliminary reports are saying that the spacecraft began venting gases into space that propelled it into the dark side of Titan. The crew is now out of radio contact, and officials at the Johnson Space Center. So. That's part of the whole yep. deal. And Gloria that, that, is malfunctioning. That, that can't exist in the narrative of the story without the song before it. So the song before yeah. it serves a very specific narrative purpose. It's about destroy, you know, the the ship is being destroyed, my life is falling to pieces, like and then the narrative follows that. Titans are looming over, giants are crushing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels a little like the song Giants too. I was going to say that. It does. Yeah. Well, we we're we are a pro Giants podcast. Yeah, I, I came around pretty hard on that one. Yeah. That's... Um, now, Estrella. Get to the chorus. Just do the chorus because it takes a while. <laughs> that is true. Let's, let's uh get a little bit of this intro. Okay. Okay. This is pretty. I like the little metronome intro. I write clever words on paper. I sometimes think I don't believe at all. I've never felt so fake, so false. I'm such a lie. I couldn't even look him in the eyes. He was 25 like I was. All right, so um, let's, I'll get to the chorus, but I just, I felt like those opening lyrics are worth discussing. Did you, did you see before you do the chorus? Okay. Go ahead, keep going. No, go. What were you gonna say? I emailed you a video of him performing. Yes, with, yes, with yes. Amy, and it's beautiful. Yes, yes, I got that. We can play a little bit of that, but here's the yeah. getting into the chorus. You know, going from going from like the raw 
heavy, uh, just destructive sort of theme of Titan to Estrella, um, you know, kind of uh, that sort of the maybe sort of the 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 dark place and the uh, that 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 song comes from to um, I write clever words on paper. I sometimes think I don't believe it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, we talk a lot about the sort of, um, the finger pointing, uh, and uh, like the pointing the finger at oneself that, that five iron had d- done and that Reese right. has done a lot, the sort of like make, bringing it back to themselves and their own personal, their own personal growth and um even though this is not my favorite song on on the record um you know i i do i do like a lot of the the messaging in it and and the meaning and the the earnestness you know we all all know that I am a fan of really earnest um, songwriting, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a dick for saying this. It just like doesn't do much for me. Um, you know, I can appreciate, obviously this is, you know, pretty clear from the lyrics, but it's written about Reese's friend who had died uh, from neurofibromatosis um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it, I really appreciate the sincerity, the sincerity in it and the honesty, the wrestling. Um, and I think it's really well sung. Um, but it's just not a mode that gets me super excited. It's the kind of song that you like hope that you could write for a dear friend who passes away. Yeah, sure. But you would not want to revisit very frequently. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's just one of those things you, you have this emotional moment and, the fact that it's on here and captured is really special, but um, it's not one that I can listen to, but once in a decade. Sure. More than Because that. it's also, it feels a little too personal. Like yeah. it does. It feels like another one that feels like a little bit of a weird mix with the other songs. Yeah. I, I, like, I agree, Jason, that it, I think it's worth an important to capture and in turn in sort of like a time capsule kind of sense of like where you were but yeah i think um i mean i have lots of songs that i wrote uh years ago um like i listened to a song recently that i wrote 15 years ago and listening to it again i was getting kind of emotional it's like yeah that Mm -hmm. that was very a very specific kind of place i was in at the time but there's probably a reason I don't want to throw myself back into that emotional state. Yeah. Uh, So I I don't, did I ever send you the drawn onward record that we made? Did I ever email that to you guys? I don't think so. so. The last song on it was about my dad and the last, uh, you know, two minutes of it is me doing basically this, like Mm. it's very emotional for me to hear it. And, uh, piano and guitar and all that stuff concludes the song. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I just don't revisit a lot. 
for that sure. reason. And so it's good that he has this. It's good that he did this to memorialize and tribute to somebody, but it's like nobody is going to watch like their family's funeral video that somebody's got in the back of the, like right, the back right. of the service. Like nobody's watching that video. Yeah. I've never watched my dad's when I was 14. We have, and yeah. I know exactly where it is on my shelf. Never touching it. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, do we want to hear any of the audio from that video? It's very pretty, but you know, you could put it as a supplemental thing if you want to on your okay. social or whatever, just to share sure. with people. Yeah, maybe that we... might be that might just be better. I've yeah. got a time crunch here. I've got a okay. Sorry. boogie fair. Sorry, it's my fault. All right, let's move we, on. We got a lot of songs left. <laughs> you have to hop off. After uh, what, fifteen episodes, sixteen episodes? I don't know how many we're at right now. The first Dennis song. It's my yeah. number one. Wow! Oh, look at you. Fascinating. Uh, it's not mine. <laughs> where, where is where the zero meets the Dennis? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, yeah. it's this is where zero meets fifteen. This is under bridges. Um, yeah. But I, I really. I really appreciate here because we've we've criticized Dennis and his some of his the the content of his songwriting for being a little bit more on the conservative side and kind of the theology. But it's nice to hear more of a wrestling song from him, sure. yeah. You know, and and where he's like uh, the the lyrics. Um, um, it's hard to be affected when it happens so often to see life unraveling through drawn Venetian blinds, you know, that, that uh, we just get so accustomed to suffering and we're and we're in our comfortable space and you're just like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm, I could, I can observe it from my, my nice house. And, but um but I'm, he says, I'm sickened by compassion, you know? So he's like, he, it's again, it's a sense of helplessness and wondering what, what to do. And, uh, but also acknowledging in the same way the under bridges did the, the humanity of, of people. 
and while it's it's again it's very much like the the tokenized kind of um, drug drug addicts or prostitutes or the formerly incarcerated or whatever, um, I I still again give the benefit of the doubt of a an album written 17 years ago um you know that they're still wrestling with these issues and i and it's so i i give dennis a pass in the same way i gave reese a pass for under bridges yeah i i mean i those i have those same comparisons in my notes to under bridges and where zero meets 15 i i do agree that what i appreciate about it is the like pointing the finger at himself you know that familiar five iron territory feeling overwhelmed at the state of the world and kind of paralyzed by it what i don't like about it is kind of the same thing that i don't like about under bridges where i feel like it almost like revels in this scene of depravity where it's like that poverty porn thing i was talking about and just i don't know i obviously can empathize with what he's saying it's just um i don't know it's like these pathetic people (laughs) or something i don't know um I do like that repeated riff, the like, and the keys sound. I think um, this is the most well-constructed Dennis song. I think a lot of the Dennis songs that we've critiqued, you're just like, we're always like, uh, why don't I like this song? And yeah. it's just, it can feel like a little boring. Um, but this one, I'm just like, there's the vocal effect on it rules. Yeah. It yeah. sounds awesome. And to go from that distorted vocal effect to the clean chorus vocals. Yeah. It's just like it 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 lifts. And that's sort of like the dynamic that was missing in, you know, the song. Yeah. Like yeah, I agree with that. it also right. definitely drives the point home of like the subliminal cathedral bells that exist in this record that kind of mm. make it almost have like a Christmassy feel in a weird way. Like, yeah, it's interesting. There's right, like, there's like sleigh bells I, on some songs. Yeah, yeah. I've always felt like there's like a holiday vibe to this record, but in mm. the Heart Still Beats chorus, they have those cathedral bells really going full volume, and I love the construction of this song. I love the construction of Heroes Homecoming off the next record, and mm. I Meridian as well. Those two songs by Dennis are the best stuff that I think I ever heard him write. I don't know if you guys are going to do the Ascents record or not uh, as part of the the b-sides of five iron in the history but the ascents record is is amazing but it's definitely straight praise and worship so right we've talked about it i don't know we'll see (laughs) yep i got it uh but i do love this song it's not on my top three but it's amazing it's really well done yeah we should say also that this is the one where uh pissed off and go to hell also get record scratched out so (laughs) yeah and that is true and that's something else i want to you know you know uh credit where credit is due sure i wouldn't i wouldn't have expected that from dennis but you know although it's like a character who's saying those things but but even still still. yeah baby's breath there we go sleigh bells i like that Sounds like it could maybe be like a Sufjan song. Yeah. This is that dynamic we needed in Anastasia. Sure. Softness.
Um, so this is going to be an unusual episode because I have lots of praise for Dennis on this record. I, I don't especially like this song, but I think Dennis's uh, harmonies on this record yeah. are so on point. I think they, they work. And I've said this before in previous episodes, but I, I really feel like his vocals and his harmonies with Reese's just pair yeah. very nicely. Yeah, I agree. No, I think his his kind of mode for BS2, but on this album in particular, uh, work better for me than most of his stuff. Um, I think this is pretty good. I don't know. It's got a catchy chorus. Um, it has that descending chord thing that BS2 does a lot that I like. Um, but that's about all I have to say about it. I, I really, this is my number two song. Oh, okay, interesting, interesting. This is like my, the album, if you're talking just straight up like, breaking up with your girlfriend in college like sure this is your hug your pillow moment <laughs> yeah you're just laying in bed hugging your pillow just being like what happened what happened right yeah i could you see know? <laughs> like and that especially that pre-chorus where classy mm-hmm. seas of blue yeah. i will dream of you yeah oh, just so just makes you like it's the contrast to the enamel like bitterness it's that moment sure. when you're not bitter you're straight nostalgic, you're sad yeah. and forlorn and feeling sorry for yourself, but you're like, what, what I'm going to, I'm going to live to fight another day. Heck, come right. on. You're not, you're not that bad, buddy. You can get back out there. Find your, <laughs> sure. find your wife, you know, two months later, like I did. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's funny. Oh, wait. So did you meet your wife in 2003 also? Uh, I did. That's no, so funny. Let me think. I met her in, well, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right, right after That's... this record came out. And then right. we drove, I, she was driving to California on spring break of 2003. I'm like, yeah. where are you going for spring break? She, I didn't even know her like at all. She's like, I'm going to California to this school called Azusa to meet my like friends from high school. Uh-huh. And I said, can I just get in the car with you and go? <laughs> Cause that's what I will do still. <laughs> uh, and I that all worked out and then it turned out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, that all makes sense. I could, I could again see if I heard the song earlier that it would that it would resonate more deeply. Yeah, yeah. I fell away. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Hit me with the sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe obvious, but man, the yeah, the synths, 
the chorus i mean it's the most sort of like overtly punk song on the record so i guess it makes sense but like yeah i'm just such a sucker for that and yeah it's that it's that rental sound jason that i did you ever listen what is this that you're playing this on itunes or spotify or something spotify did you ever listen to army of freshmen the spring break song it sounds exactly like this mm-hmm. it's amazing Do, can you pull it up or is that not possible they were amazing and i love that style of music like Mogrock. I, ha- I used to have Mogrock CDs mixes all the time. Yeah, so and they it. were they were so good. It's just that's a great little style of music window that happened only in the early two thousands and right. then went away. Totally. Yeah, I'm a sucker for any of that stuff. So it makes sense that this would be my number one. Z- Zebrahead did that stuff too a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, my yeah, my I'm. This is not working. <laughs> no. What's Super. what's it called? Uh, that's it. Um, like do wrinkle in time right there. You got it. Play that for a second. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> I will it. take some <laughs> wrinkle in time, man. Army right. freshman. Shout I'm out. Go check him out. Yeah. They were great. Anyways. Sorry. <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Number one. Love it. Recall. It was all about acceleration. All for no variety. Voice sounds great. All about the destination. Driven by my own abilities Rocket shattered, screamed, and then fell away Lift this juggernaut into the sky Radio waves in the frozen night Spelling That's so good. Um, I feel like, can, can we hear just the beginning of the second verse? Because the first verse doesn't really do it for me, but once that bass comes in, I lock into the groove. There's yeah, see? Like once then. Keys are pretty great. Yeah. That, that Hammond B organ, I love it. Yeah, it's and, great. And this is that moment where I say sequencing of this record made, made perfect sense. The only place that this could have gone is where that binary song was. Like if you switch them, sure. they could probably be interchangeable, but you need track 13 of this record to be mellow to get you to daylight. Like you need something to come down off of I Fell Away and that energy and that rawness to get you into daylight safely and that song is so like it packs a punch. So yeah, you need something low key, but it's like, 
I think this song fits right where it needs to. And thus you're left with that binary song kind of being at the beginning, right. setting the tone. Yeah, yeah. This one is also about the kind of like hope and light in dark times um, waiting for that. But yeah, I, I mean, I like that chorus. I, the first verse doesn't do much for me. But like I said, once that groove kicks in, I really start getting into it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, this, this, this uh, album has made me a dentist believer. <laughs> I'll take I love it. it. I love it. It's got a seventies vibe, doesn't it? Let kind of yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. who's the guy that sang sitting on the dock of the bay. I can't think of his name right now. Right. Otis, old, Re- Otis old, Redding stuff yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say even like a Bill Withers kind of. Yeah. Right. Feel going. It's got a soul jam to it. Like, yeah. like a seventies soul vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Another uh, spoken word action here. Eventually. <laughs> At some point. Deepest oceans of despair. This vast and somber charcoal night of space. Have you given up yet? What hope lingers in the crevices and corners of your soul? I know you. You haven't given up yet. You are brave in this darkness, Saint Saturn. Sometimes the bravest thing of all is to hope. Um, for some reason, what the line... <laughs> You are brave in the darkness, Saint Saturn. Makes me think of is like, do you guys? What is this from? Where it's like, I guess you weren't just that good, Will Hunting. <laughs> it's from some Kevin Smith movie. I don't know. Um, anyway, it reminds me of that. That's the name of the band. Right? Yeah. Ooh, it's like oh, Arrested Development, it, where he's like, "Hey, that's the name of the show." And it call it calls back the binary part, right? Ooh, yeah, that's cool. Did. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I like. I've never like heard it. it like that in my headphones, where it sounded really good mm. with the, the thumping. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, um, yeah, I like it setting the scene for kind of coming back out of the darkness. The uh, the this, epic epic this closing. Is, this yes, is it, indeed. man. This is the moment. I assume this is your number three, Jason. I think so. Yeah. Okay. This is this is a big one. That fuzz. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. This is grimy bass. Yeah. Absolutely filthy.
so we're gonna need to get to uh yeah we are <laughs> get to the end here sounds good <laughs> we love yelly reese yeah, yeah. Uh, but like imagine sitting in the console like being there that day when he is just like you can only do yeah. something like that one or two times vocally yeah, yeah, yeah. totally and and commit yourself to that and then like what does masaki say like hey you guys want to go get some burritos like, <laughs> right. like how do you how do you take it down from that but in all seriousness like you're 19 years old you're me you're coming from an evangelical background uh, mm-hmm. and knowing five iron and being on that journey with them for eight years, yeah. but then also being on your own spiritual journey and having that moment where you have to like stare your faith, your God, your belief system in the face and say, which, which way am I going to have it? What do I want the rest of this to look like for me? Yeah. And that this song and that moment happened for me countless times the year that this record came out mm-hmm. more times than I can even account for. And, and getting through that moment with Jesus and coming through t- to the end of that and saying, I'm still about Jesus. I still really think that this thing is real for me. I still am about my faith and I'm still about confronting these dark places with a little bit of help from somebody outside of myself. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't have come to those pl- those uh, realizations without this song hmm. it's, it was huge for me not yeah. just semi big moment in a like every new day every time i saw them play that song i had a little nice little spiritual like blip like a mountaintop moment it wasn't that for me it was flat out confronting my faith confronting who i wanted to be for the rest of my life hmm. with this song yeah and it yeah. did it like that's the decision that i made and stay with to this day is that I'm still about Jesus. I still think Jesus is real. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, I, I think, you know, it does feel like Five Iron in the sense that it's like that vein of the closing worship song, but this is much more in the sort of depression, spirituality ethos of, of Brave St. Saturn. Um, and yeah, the, the uh, I'm on board for the song. I, I like the chorus a lot, but it's when he crescendos into Screaming Home that like, I feel that tingle that I still feel with those five iron closing worship songs where I just like feel this 
I'm, I feel moved by it in like a, a genuine way. So yeah, I don't know. I, I just get to that. Who the hell am I moment when I hear this song? Sure. Who the, who the hell am I? Yeah. Yeah. What and do you think, a, Andrew? That's a good thing. No, I, I think finding a, um, I think we all have those albums that, yeah. that have those, who the hell am I moments. Right. 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 Um, that, um, yeah, this, I mean, this song, of course, uh, speaks differently. Um, I mean, I, I also didn't hear it when it came out. Um, maybe right. it would have resonated with me in 2000. It probably, I probably would have had the same resi- uh, it probably would have resonated with me similarly, Jason. And in, in 2003, um, sort of like where I was at kind of the height, uh, of my faith in that year. Um, and yeah, but if finding a, a song that speaks to you exactly where you're at and kind of clicks into uh, an ethos um, that you're like, yeah, I get it, and this is this is a powerful message. I mean that that's one of the things that I think connects people to music to begin with is that it's you have the songs like titan that are raw as hell yeah um or heart still beats where you're wrestling with wrestling with those values and then you end with a song like daylight where you're like this is where i want to be and this is what i still believe and i'm holding on to no that's that's why i think the journey of this record is so much more tight than far from home um but yeah yeah i didn't get to say this up top but what i really admire about this whole project but this album particularly is like the ambition of it even if i'm saying like i don't know if it always hits for me it's a little overblown but like i love that they're going for it and trying to cover so much ground and really taking some big swings so i'm yeah i'm into that um do we want to hear any of this hidden track (laughs) it's just kind of like ambient right yeah energy it's very curious it is curious there's a reason it's a you know hidden track yeah can it that's not even canon for me (laughs) yeah sure it's it's after the high of daylight it just seems superfluous (laughs) i I always thought daylight was the end and like i said for me to end on like this is this is going to be who I am. I'm going to be a light person. I want to bring light mm. to the world. I yeah. want to be like I was freshman year for sure of college was like for most people, I think, especially evangelicals who face the harsh reality of the real world unless right. they go to a private Christian school. But I was going from being like the top Christian at a public school mm. to going to a 40,000 person university, a public university, yeah. living in the dorms and staring down the fate of my future yeah by myself nobody was there you know i had like a roommate from high school that i was best friends with but that was the darkest place and i punished myself constantly watching just trash horror movies to just (laughs) you know like the things that you do to see like how far you can take your own misery in those moments you know like i think i could see clockwork orange twice now (laughs) right Uh, yeah totally but but then hearing this and just going like 
okay, I have to, I have to believe in some light. I have to have hope. That was a big, big moment for me. And then that year seeing Reese Roper in November say hope is freedom right after the end of the new hope and into world mm-hmm. without an end. Mm-hmm. That was like it. That was like the unlocking of my spirituality, the unlocking of my personality, being a positive person for the rest of my life. I'm the most positive guy you'll find uh, out there. Uh, and that was like the, the switch. Yeah. So that's how important Five Iron yeah. Frenzy or it's or Reese Roper's lyrics are to some of the fans out there. Yeah, totally. I'm not like a guy who's going to get that shit tattooed on my body because <laughs> it's important to me, but I'm going to live it every day. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I, we've talked about this plenty. Like some of these Five Iron songs, some of these Reese lyrics like shaped my understanding of the world in some ways. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is big. I just want to point out that eight of our nine songs we disagreed on. <laughs> We each had almost entirely different top threes, which is, you know, this album contains multitudes. I I mean, I feel like that's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah, Yeah. it is kind of cool. Because Uh, that's exactly what I was saying. Like you, everybody has things that speak to them and land differently, you know, just in the same way that like uh, we, when we went through MXPX, like teenage politics lands differently for us versus someone like our boy Riker who was introduced to MXPX through Secret Weapon. And so like, you know, me listening to this album in my thirties versus Jason hearing it in his his late late teens, you know, of course it's going to be so much more uh, meaningful to him in certain ways than it would be to me. And um, which is why I always try and be a little bit, you know, right. you know, maybe a little bit more cautious these days with how I talk about music because not necessarily in doing this podcast, but just that, you know, um, you know, not, not entirely trying to yuck someone's yum because things yeah. uh, are always going to be more uh, subjective. So totally. Yeah. yeah. I never found this album to be yuck, but I do find it more yum after talking with you guys tonight. So, oh, that's sweet. Hey, I love you guys. I hope you're well. Uh, stay Thanks, safe. Buddy. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate Jason. you coming Love on. you too, man. Thanks for joining us and all your support. Yeah. Um, Everybody follow Unoriginal Vinyl on Instagram. <laughs> or don't. I don't care. <laughs> Thanks, I'll buddy. See you guys. Yep. See all right. Take care. That's uh, the light of things hoped for. It is. Point the Yes, indeed. Journeyed around those those moons coming <laughs> home. Um, Journey around I, Titan and, uh, and and make that turn, and you can see the <laughs> see that sunlight. That's right. Yeah. I have not heard uh, their final album in this trilogy at all, so I'm very curious to get into it. I I feel like I've listened to it before, but uh, I I've heard bits point, and pieces, but not like for real. I feel like at this point I'm going to be journeying. It's going to be a virgin experience for me. Yeah. It'll be interesting. If you'd like to share your virgin experience with us, <laughs> tell us about it on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at magnified pod subscribe. If you haven't already and give us those five stars, please leave a review. We will read them on the pod. Email us at magnified at gmail.com and share your thoughts. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 8727-MAGPOD. Support us at patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. Pick up some merch at magnifiedpod.storyandview.com. And thanks so much to Jason from Unoriginal Vinyl for joining us, our shadow producer. 
all the air horns for Jason. Um, and thanks to Heavy Ordnance Studios and Danny Leary for our artwork. Well, time is winding down, but only for this up. We want you to be found enjoying the next episode. Little bit of fun to die, a little bit of